Welcome to another exciting episode of the Opportunity Zones podcast. Listen in as your host, Jimmy Atkinson, invites industry leaders to share their best OZ insights and investment strategies. From market updates to fund launches, policy news, tax mitigation strategies, and more, we cover it all here on the Opportunity Zones podcast. Welcome to the Opportunity Zones podcast. I'm Jimmy Atkinson. Joining me today is Sam Hales, founder and CEO of Saratoga Group, a private equity real estate fund management firm focused on the purchase, revitalization, and operation of mobile home parks. Sam joins us today from his new offices in Knoxville, Tennessee. Sam, welcome to the show. How are you doing? Jimmy, it is a pleasure to be talking to you. Uh, Doing great. Yeah, great to have you back on the show, Sam. You've interacted with uh, the Opportunity DB audience and the Alt DB audience a, a couple times in the past. Uh, you were one of my very first, if not my first, if I recall correctly, uh, webinar presenter uh, way back yeah. a couple of years ago, um, a yeah. summer of uh, spring or summer of 2020. So great to have you back on the podcast. And uh, our viewers of the podcast episode, if you're watching us on YouTube, um, we'll notice that we're uh, we're rocking some sports gear today. It's casual Friday, <laughs> you mentioned to me, Sam, at your office yeah. there in Nashville. So you're rocking some BYU gear. And I've decided to throw on my Notre Dame hat for the episode today. There's a big game coming up between our two football team teams this weekend in Las Vegas, Nevada. I'm really looking forward to that. Um, and I'd be ris- remiss if I didn't say go Irish, Sam. <laughs> go Cougs. Yeah, I think it's going to be a good game, Jimmy. And, um, you know, they... I'm feeling a little salty about it, right? Because BYU visited Notre Dame and Notre Dame was supposed to come to Provo and play and, and somehow it got changed into Vegas. So, uh, but it, it's going to be, it's going to be a great game. Looking forward yeah. to it. Pro- Provo is a great college scene. I was, I was there last fall and, and uh, really enjoyed my experience there taking in the BYU Utah game last September. Yeah. It's too bad. We're not playing you guys in Provo, but Vegas will be fun. Uh, well, that aside, let's let's dive into the episode today. We're going to talk about mobile home parks and opportunity zones on today's episode, and and how they intersect, and why opportunity zones are really a great program for mobile home park development and revitalization. But uh, Sam, put opportunity zones aside for a moment, just really high level, kind of hoping you can give uh, our audience a little one-on-one crash course on mobile home park investing. What can you tell us about mobile home parks as an asset class and as an investment opportunity? Yeah, awesome, Jimmy. I I uh, happy to happy to talk about that, and I can tell you my my journey was basically asking this question. I I'd, I'd done other types of real estate investment, specifically a lot of single family home uh, rentals, and and this was gosh, let's see now, five years ago, uh, almost six years ago, it felt like needed to find something else that would do well in uncertain economic times, a recession specifically, and started looking around and, and, and with the help of kind of some different people in my life kind of came to mobile home parks. And, and as I dug in, started realizing, wow, like during a recession, I can't think of a better place to be than the mobile home communities. And, and there's some reasons for that. Uh, it's obviously affordable housing, 
right? And and so what happens is, in terms of of kind of non-government sponsored affordable housing, this, this is it's the best alternative, and we can get more into that. But but really, there's just so much. There's not enough supply, and there's so much demand. So even when times are hard, uh, what that creates is kind of downward pressure, uh, meaning. Uh, pressure from other people that can no longer afford that really nice apartment or can no, are no longer in home ownership, uh, standard home ownership and, and need an affordable place to live. And so, so that, be, you know, mobile home communities kind of become that backstop a little bit. And that was played out as I, as I did some research and looked at a couple of publicly traded REITs that are focused on, on mobile home communities. One of those is Sun Communities. Another one is ELS, uh, Sam Zell company. You may be familiar with Jimmy. And and sure enough, like right through, so so they you know they were both publicly listed, uh, I think 1998, and and so right through kind of the dot com crash and then the Great Recession, uh, there's been a couple other hiccups specifically in in kind of multifamily and and throughout all of that. So over a period of over 20 years both of those firms had had positive NOI growth every quarter. Uh, so right through, right through the great recession, obviously, you know, share prices went down, right. I mean, cause they're, they're publicly listed and, 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 and the scare impacts everybody. Um, but they were still growing the bottom line through, you know, what we could say was thick and thin. So why is that? Like, you know, what, what's going on there? Part of that is, you have a very sticky resident base. So the average mobile home park resident that owns their home stays in that home, in that community for over 13 years. That's actually longer than your, your average single family stick built homeowner. Um, and so, so you, you, and, and the reason for that is, you know, they bought their home or maybe they're in the process of paying off their home they're paying us for the rent at the lot, but it's very expensive for them to, to take that home and move it to another community. Um, and there's good and bad to that, right? Because that can kind of induce an operator to be like, well, maybe it doesn't matter so much if I'm running a great community, or maybe it doesn't matter if I really jack up rents and don't provide value because they're stuck. And that's, that's not the idea. Like we wanna create value for the residents, but if you do that, it, it becomes a very sticky uh, tenant base. <clears throat> um, and then of course we talked about the affordability affordability of it as well. Um, another thing that I really like about it is if you're in a model where the residents own the home, you're not renting out homes, which is generally what we do, then your kind of repairs and maintenance and your upkeep, it's, you know, really all you're talking about there is maintaining the community, maintaining the underground infrastructure, maintaining the electrical connections, uh, maintaining the roads, you know, playground, kind of common area <clears throat> sort of things. But we're not, in other words, if the toilet leaks and it makes a mess or, or the light bulbs go out, you know what I mean? Like a, the things that you usually have to take care of in a multifamily, you don't have those, those issues and those concerns. And so initially they're actually harder to manage because um, I think just generally of, of being kind of the class of, of housing that it is. And so you have to really create a culture, a community and enforce rules 
But once you can kind of stabilize that, they become quite easy to manage. Um, and so that, that, that was really appealing about, about the space as well. I'm not sure I quite followed your <clears throat> that last point, and forgive me, I'm a little bit naive about mobile home park communities. I haven't gotten involved in in one before as an investor. What, yeah. what did you mean when you said there really isn't a lot of maintenance? You, you don't have to worry about the toilets and, and the light bulbs. Why is that? Well, be, because the model is the resident owns their home, and and then we own they own the, the they own that physical structure on it's, top, and they're exactly. basically renting the, the pad site from you. Is that the yes, gotcha. exactly. Gotcha. Yeah, okay. so it's, that's why I say you know. So when they own the home, then then they're taking care of the home, and we're not we're not having to address those issues. Okay. Well, let's talk a little bit more about that later in the episode. I'm curious, you know, how that model plays into exactly what you're doing with your properties that you're managing through Saratoga Group. Um, you mentioned a little bit about, you know, some of the differences between mobile home parks and single family or multifamily. Are there any other big differentiators between mobile home parks and other property types within the residential sector? Yeah, I mean, there's, um, you know, when we when we first got into the space, part of my frustration around the single family, which is kind of where I came from, was it was just inefficient. And, and so, you know, you're seeing a lot of it. So, so you're hearing all these things about the build to rent model, right? And, 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 Hey, what's so exciting about that is like you get the economies of scale that you have in multifamily because it's all in a single location, but then you get single family home ownership. Well, mobile home parks are built to rent, really, right? I mean, it's it, all those advantages that we're talking about there where you, you have a community, you have the efficiency of, of a single location <clears throat> versus single family homes that are kind of spread out all over, which is the business that we were in. And that's where Blackstone and Waypoint, all these people started as well. Um, so, so really those advantages in built rent are the same that you have in, in the mobile home parks. It's just a much cheaper option. So, and that, and that's really, I think the big differentiator um, we, we talked about, this is our, we have a weekly team call uh, at Saratoga Group, and, and actually, I, I shared a little bit about this uh, this this past week. Um, to where, if if somebody is buying a home uh, in one of our communities, you know they're going to get a mortgage just like anybody. It but they're, they're maybe paying fifty or sixty or seventy thousand dollars for that home, and and that home two years ago used to be thirty percent cheaper, just like everything else. Um, but, but now, so, so a home that was 35,000 is now 50,000. So it went up by $15,000. It's like, wow, that was a pretty big job percentage wise, but in terms of total dollars, it's not that much money. And again, that part of it is fixed. And then, you know, if, if rents are going up, then if, if your average lot rent is $350 and it goes up by 10%, we're talking $35. It's, it's, Percentage-wise, it might be the same as, as what would happen other places, but as as we as we in the economy that we're in, we're going to continue to see mobile home parks as a very viable, uh, in relative terms, alternative for for great housing for people because of some of those factors. That makes sense. Uh, well, let's turn our attention to the economy now. 
Um, really, the last time you spoke to my Opportunity DB audience was in, I think it was spring or, or summer of, of 2020 when you were on that that webinar with me, Sam. And by the way, yes. I'll make sure that I link to um, that webinar. And I think we did a podcast episode around that webinar. I'll be sure to link to that in the show notes for today's episode if anybody wants to go back and, and watch that. But we were in a very different uh, period in time. Uh, the economy was in much different shape back then two years ago at the beginning of COVID. The market was tanking a little bit. Maybe it was just starting to rebound, um, but inflation was still very low. Interest yeah. rates were still very low. Um, people were were quitting their jobs in, in droves because uh, we we the federal government and the state governments um, tacked on a lot of unemployment benefits, uh, pandemic right. response driven unemployment benefits. Now we're in a period of um, really tight uh, labor markets, low employment, but very high inflation, and the Fed has reacted by increasing interest rates. Um, I think they've issued three 75 basis point interest rate hikes over the last three meetings, the last three months, the most recent just coming uh, about a week or two ago now. So high inflationary environment. Yeah. Um, we've got inflation above 8% according to the last CPI print. Um, going back to that webinar you did, you know, the, the, the focus of that webinar was why mobile home parks were a great recession resistant OZ investment. Two years later now, I want to ask you, in addition to being recession resistant, Sam, are mobile home parks also an inflation resistant asset class with inflation as high as we're seeing? Yeah, right. <laughs> I, I can tell you that when, when I thought about getting into this business, it, it wasn't like, hey, what's going to do, do really well when inflation is over 10%, right? I don't know how many people, I mean, that happened 50 years ago. And, and if, if we study that, we knew it, it could probably happen again, but I think it's been, been a surprising development for a lot of us, certainly for me. Um, that being said, I think mobile home communities are going to fare quite well. Um, and, and let me maybe first talk about the headwinds that, that we're seeing, and I think are maybe common to other operators. Number one, it costs us more in labor, and and that that's anywhere from you know our community managers, um, as well as probably more pronounced would be as we're as we're buying these value communities and we're, we're needing work done and, and we got to do new roads and we we've got to renovate homes and bring like all those things cost dramatically more than they did a couple of years ago. Uh, on the but on the other side of that, and, and this is maybe where we could dive into this a little bit more in terms of the responsiveness and the elasticity, maybe a little bit in regards to the rent um, pricing that that we're able to charge. So we we basically have a schedule where we put our communities all on basically the same schedule. We do a rent raise once per year, and it's kind of in the springtime. <clears throat> So, so this last spring of 2022, our average rent raise was about $55. And if, you know, if I was a multifamily operator, I'd tell you, hey, we raised our rents this year by $55. I think the question would be like, that's it? <laughs> like, that's all? Um, but, but, but $55 when our, our average rent was around 300 is 
significant, right? I mean, we're, we're talking about nearly 20% in, in one year. And, and hopefully that doesn't sound egregious. I, you know, we, we started, we're starting from rents, these communities we, we buy are mismanaged, have, have been undercapitalized from these owners that we buy them from. So the market rent, we're still kind of chasing just to get back to, to market, but that's because we're, we're dumping money and making these communities a lot nicer. Anyway, <clears throat> so, so if that, if that was our average rent raise, but then, and, and let's just kind of reset, Let, let's, let's talk about maybe the go forward, which is, Hey, if inflation's 10%, that's an easy number. And the average, um, we were actually, the example I shared this week is in Greenville, North Carolina, we have a, a thousand pads in that market. The average, uh, three bedroom, two bath unit, could be a house, could be an apartment, is about 1550 a month. And, we're, and our average rent at our mobile home parks is about 350 in that market. So, so if the rent goes up by 10% this next year, you're talking about a rent raise of over $150 for the apartment. And you're talking about $35 for the mobile home park because the rest of that, the owner, or the rest of the housing, let's say, in that mobile home community is the home, and that person either number one owns their home outright, which is actually the majority of people, or they are, you know, somehow maybe they have a loan on it and they're paying for the home. But again, that's a fixed arrangement, so that that payment stays fixed uh, over time. So they're using inflationary dollars to. It's a good situation to be in, right? And so, so they owe, they owe less and less money on it every month, uh, inflation adjusted, basically. Exactly. Right? Yeah. Exactly. Which, which is another reason to own real assets in inflationary times, right? Mm -hmm. uh, whereas, whereas if they're just renting an apartment, like it all gets passed on, not just the rent, but the utilities, you know, all those things get passed on. And so it's, it's a much bigger impact on the resident if they're in multifamily versus. In a, in a mobile home community. And, and I, I feel good about that, right? I mean, I'm concerned about, I guess you could say just the average American in, in, in all this inflation. And yes, there's wage growth, but there's not wage growth, enough, enough wage growth for everybody. The wage growth is kind of really showing up for the white collar workers and that sort of thing and, and, and kind of the working class is really getting hit hard. So um, anyway, it, it's just, it's it's awesome to be able to kind of provide that value proposition while at the same time, economically, 10% rent raise, hey, that for, for you know, our community, I mean, that's, that's very meaningful for us, even though $35 might not sound like a lot. Um, you know, if our, if our NOI on a, on a lot is a hundred, then that's, that's huge, right? That's a that's a huge increase in in the operating income. For sure, it is. Yeah, I know that a lot of good points, a lot of good insights you bring up there. Um, that was really interesting. That point about how it, I guess it's almost a hybrid model for the renter. He, he or she is renting from you, but he or she owns the actual the actual structure. Um, Correct. And, and yeah. in most cases, you, you mentioned own it outright. And if not own it outright, maybe uh, paying at least a, a fixed uh, fixed rate, um, which which is quite valuable when when rates are on the rise. If you're able to lock in a, a lower rate, 
uh, a year or two ago or, or whatever the case may be. Well, so, well, what are there are there any reasons why, given the market conditions today, um, the the market drop since the beginning of the year, the um, inflationary environment we're in that you might be bearish on any particular aspects of the market right now or has has the market impacted any transactions or anything in your pipeline yeah no that, that definitely definitely some impacts i mean you know I'll, I'll, I'll maybe talk about financing first and then and then some project related stuff next but because of the nature of what we're buying which are these value add communities our typical loan is a 10-year bank commitment, and it's typically five years fixed with a reset, and then you and then you have another five years. So, you know, we're we're looking down the horizon and saying, okay, well, some of this stuff that expires next year, it's, it's gonna get reset and their interest rates gonna be significantly higher. Um, so that's not good. That's not great. Um, fortunately for us, um, and we you know model this all the time, but we're not that impacted. By the interest rate, and and the reason for that is, our 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 debt to value or debt to basis. Either I mean, our we we are under. So if we just use our basis, we're less than fifty percent debt to to basis. And, and if you look at value, it's it's even you know significantly less than that. And so it's not it's not a huge impact for us, but it's not, it's not a great thing. We, we don't love that. And we're, we're, and we're working on uh, basically a large facility that would um, lock in some, some nice long-term financing for us. Um, should have done it a year ago, right? <laughs> it's, de it's definitely more expensive than it was 12 months ago, but we, we weren't quite ready with our portfolio at that point. But, but anyway, the other thing I want to talk about is, is the impact on our business in terms of some of these projects that we have. So if I, if I could characterize like our standard opportunity zone mobile home park, which isn't that different than our non-opportunity zone mobile home park, but um, we're, we're buying a community. It's maybe 60% occupied. So a lot of vacancy. Um, it's, it's probably... The roads are a little bit beat up. Uh, there's maybe some older homes in there that either need to get pulled out or, or definitely refreshed and renovated. Uh, you know, some there's probably a few infrastructure problems. I mean, hopefully I'm painting a picture here. Like there's a lot of things that need to get done to basically revitalize this community. And, and so that's what we do. And we, and we go in and we put new roads in and we pour new uh, concrete driveways and, and we, you know, take out the old homes and bring in new homes and put a children's park in, all this sort of stuff. But we also, and, and all of that, even though the costs of those things have gone up some, as, as we as we talked about, they still economically make a lot of sense because on the other side, our, our you know, our rents are, are more than our projection, right? Our rent increases are more than what we originally projected. And, and, and those increases in the, um, the cost of doing, of doing these improvements is, is still very viable for, for kind of the business model. Where we're seeing issues is we've also got five different projects <clears throat> where there was additional land associated with, with the purchase and, and maybe it's a, a different parcel, maybe it's the same parcel. 
uh, but we're in the process of getting entitlements to uh, basically expand these communities. So, uh, you know, I'll give you an example. We have one out east of Austin, Texas, has around 90 existing sites, and we got approval for doing another 140 sites. Um, and, and, you know, went through the entire entitlement process, all everything that's needed, and we have uh, approval to move forward with the project. And this happened maybe five, six months ago. And we've been getting and soliciting multiple bids to you know choose a contractor and, and kind of start the work. And the bids are coming in literally double what we anticipated when we when we originally started. Um, and and a lot of that just has to do with, with the labor shortages. And of course, you know, inflation in, in, in some of the in some of the material costs, but it's really more about like what I'd call labor inflation. Uh, and the fact that these contractors are so busy that it's kind of like, well, yeah, if you really, really want me to do this job, like here's my price. Um, and so we're, we're actually looking at, we, we started to do this. We have a small crew on staff now, and they're doing a lot of our projects for us so we can, we can get better turnaround time and, and, and more predictable pricing. And we're looking at, at kind of, building up the ability there to do some of this development. But in the meantime, we're just kind of with these different projects, we're, we're moving forward, we're getting the entitlements and we're just kind of waiting to see what will happen with pricing. Um, I think because of everything that's happening and the way that the Fed is, is tightening, that uh, it's, gonna, it's gonna certainly have some ripple effects on the construction industry. And I think we're gonna get much more reasonable pricing in the next six to 12 months. And we're kind of holding out for that. So, so that, that's been, that's definitely been a big impact for us and, and slowed us down on, on some of these projects, but um, you know, overall uh, it's hasn't really impacted the business plan. Gotcha. Yeah. <clears throat> that makes sense. Uh, you, you started talking about your opportunity zone strategy a little bit there, <clears throat> excuse me, during uh, your last response, Sam, um, wanted to dive into that a little bit more. Uh, you know, what exactly is it you're doing? Are you, are you, are you only working on existing communities? Are you building any new communities? And then uh, I guess the second part of the question is, does your strategy differ based on whether it's an OZ deal or not, or is your strategy consistent and it just you know, it, it's either an OZ deal or it isn't. If it, if it happens to be slated into an OZ, you put it in an OZ fund or, T tell us a little bit more about your overall strategy there at Saratoga Group. Yeah, so 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 definitely, you know what, what we try to do is say, look, we're, we're ambivalent. We're we're looking for good opportunities. Um, that maybe not trying to use that word too much. We're talking opportunity zones, but good 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 projects, right? And uh, regardless of whether they're in an opportunity zone or not, um, so so it's really generally doesn't doesn't matter like the characteristics are, are pretty much the same the exception would be uh for example we're, we're in escrow on a property in atlanta 194 units and it's 98 percent occupied uh, there's improvements that we're going to do but a project like that there's there's just not enough to do to meet the basis requirements so so 
we don't, that wouldn't work within a qualified opportunity fund strategy. Exactly. Exactly. Right. Gotcha. So, okay. um, so we haven't yet come across one of those that actually was in an opportunity zone where it's like, oh man, we wish we could put this in our OZ fund, but we can't. Mm-hmm. Uh, but theoretically, you know, that would happen. And we, and we, we take that. And if, if the deal made sense, we'd buy it. We just couldn't do it in the OZ fund. So we don't come across too many of those, but this is probably our fourth one like that. Um, but generally, it doesn't matter. It's kind of the same business plan. Go in and and and, and so you were asking, you know, are we doing? Uh, is it mostly revitalization versus development? And and it's really almost exclusively revitalization. The um, sometimes the revitalization looks like development because that lot got abandoned twenty five years ago and the forest grew back. And it's like, well, I'm pretty sure there's like a sewer connection in there somewhere, but you got to go dig it out. You know what I mean? It's almost like you're creating a new lot. You're reclaiming a new lot. Um, But, but generally it's, it's really just kind of revitalization is is our business. Gotcha. Um, Well, let's talk about, um, you know, a couple of years ago, last time I had you on Sam and uh, you know, this, this goes for a lot of my, earlier webinars and podcast episodes, the focus was on, well, here's what our pipeline looks like. Here are our projected IRRs. Here's what we are anticipating we're going to do. But now we're a couple of years removed. We're in, uh, well, we're, we're in Q4 of, of 2022. So we can kind of look back and talk about some of the projects that are more or less stabilized and, and fully leased up now and actually be able to demonstrate, well, here's what we did. Here's, here are the fruits of our efforts, the fruits of our labor. So can you tell us a bit about a couple of your OZ projects that you have in the works right now? Um, let's, so let's talk about your one in the Atlanta area right now. That one, if I understand correctly, is nearly stabilized and, and nearly fully leased up. What can you tell us about that project and how you've improved that community over the past couple of years? Yeah. Yeah. Awesome, Jimmy. Um, it's kind of, it's kind of fun, right. To, to look back and, and, and think about, um, the, the history. So this, this project 123 spaces in, uh, Marietta, which is just kind of Northwest of Atlanta, great little sub market. And there were, I can, and I, it's very, um, a specific and, and, and clear memory for me as we were doing due diligence and we went to the park and we met with the code compliance officer and it was like getting a rap sheet, right? She handed, she handed the rap sheet to us and there were over a hundred violations of the community. Um, literally felt, I mean, I've had a couple of kids that have, have done missions to South America or Central America, one to Honduras, one to Chile, this felt like a third world country. Uh, there were there were kind of chickens running around. There were um, it, almost every home had violations in terms of illegal things that were built onto them that weren't code compliant and and you know random electrical wires running to places that shouldn't like somebody could have shocked and killed themselves uh, tapping into illegal, or, or electricity illegally, and uh, it was daunting. Um, so 
that that's where it started. And, and, and as, along with that, like the roads were a mess. It, it was it was really a pretty rough looking project, but the sub market was excellent. And, and location was was kind of what, what we saw there. And, and we really felt strongly that if, if we got in there and, and kind of rolled up our sleeves and, and, and started to improve the community, that there'd be no shortage of demand. And so, so that's what we did. And this was about two and a half years ago. Um, and we, uh, yeah, we're now 100, 110 of the 123 spaces are, are leased out. There's actually a few duplexes that, that we're now getting, um, turning and, and renovating those. And uh, we, we had to demo some of the, uh, there's a warehouse I and mean, just some other random kind of buildings that were there. And, and we've been able to work with the county as we demo those that we get permits to put new mobile homes there instead. So we've been a- able to increase the lot count, that sort of thing. Um, but anyway, that, so that that project, our basis is just over $5 million. We bought it for three, six, I think. Um, and we're, and I got to look at my, my notes here real quick, but we're generating our trailing 12 months NOI is 717,000. So on an unlevered basis, that'd be like a 14% return. Um, if we just look at the NOI, that the value of that property is probably 12 million bucks based on a six cap. Um, and, and actually I wouldn't sell it for, for $12 million. Uh, but, but, but anyway, so that's been a, a very successful project for us. And again, it wasn't, it was relatively risk-free. Uh, risk-free is not the right word, but, but it wasn't that risky um, because we weren't, there was no entitlement risk. We weren't building anything very complex. You know, we put a million and a half dollars into it, but it was new roads and it was prepping a bunch of lots and it was demoing things and, and putting new infrastructure in. And it was all kind of done incrementally. And as we would incrementally improve, then we'd be able to bring some new homes in and just kind of raise the character of, of the community. Um, and so, so like, and it's not just, at, sorry to interrupt you. It's not just yeah. those, those physical improvements <clears throat> to the infrastructure on site, but uh, correct me if I'm wrong. I think you guys are also fully integrated or vertically integrated. You're actually uh, managing the properties as well. Do I have that right? That's correct. Yeah. So it's the management expertise that, that adds some value there too, I would imagine. Right. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. No, it's a great point, Jimmy. I mean, um, (laughs) I've never quite understood this perspective, but, but I would say our average seller uh, under reports income because they take cash and they don't want to pay taxes on it. Right. I mean, you know, you go down this litany of reasons and you're like, man, if you just like were transparent and like reported all this stuff, like, yeah, you got to pay some taxes, but the value of your community is so much more if you, if you have records and you can show all the income. So, so just making it so you, you know, everybody has to, nobody can pay in cash. And, and we use this pay lease program where if, if they have cash, they can walk into Walmart and they have an account number and they hand them the cash and it goes straight on their ledger. And, and we'll see it that same day in our, in our banking account. Um, so it's kind of kind of a cool program for people that you know maybe do get paid in their in their construction job in cash or something like that. Sure. Um, but but anyway, yeah, you're you're right. Absolutely, the the management of it and just like hey, there's rules and you got to keep them and in kind of no tolerance for 
rule violation and, and vicious dogs and all the sorts of things that scare the people away that we want to live in the community. So, so that's, we call it the J curve, but initially in this community was no different. Initially, when we take over a community, occupancy goes down, income goes down for some, for some period of time. We hope it's short, right? Cause, cause then we're going to start going up the other side of the J curve, but that's because we can't bring in the people and the families we want to bring in until we've removed elements that are, maybe there's some criminality, other issues. We just can't have that in the community to make it a place for people that want to live, that we want to live in the community. So, yep, yeah, no, un important. understood. And that's, uh, that's valuable uh, to, to your investors that, that you do that, that you <clears throat> kind of shake out the, the, the folks you don't want living there that are that are bringing in a criminal element, of course. And, yeah. but you know, if it leads to a short-term dip in your NOI in the long run, it's probably well worth it for you, your investors and the community at large of yeah. the residents who live there, the law abiding residents. Right. So, well, let's talk about, um, you, 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 your current project. And I don't think you're raising capital for it anymore. I think you have enough capital, uh, but you're currently deploying capital into a project a mobile home community just outside of Austin, Texas. You, men you mentioned it um, a moment ago. What can you tell yes. us about that project and your strategy there? Yeah, I mean, this this would be a classic, uh, just kind of what we described with it. it uh, <laughs> the name of the community when we bought it, ironically enough, was Sherwood Forest, right? See, so <laughs> Robin Hood in the, in the yep. band of robbers or whatever. <laughs> like that, I mean, the reputation was was awful. Mm -hmm. um, and it really was, it was, you know, you don't often think of this in Texas, but this, this particular parcel, it's 35 acres was heavily forested. Um, and it was very dark at night. And there's just, there was a lot of criminal activity. Um, and even an old manager that was involved in some of this stuff. I mean, they, there was, there, there were some pretty deep and entrenched issues and problems. Um, and if I could take you on a drive through that community today and you didn't know that history, it would probably shock you because now we've, we've got this beautiful $70,000 kids playground and there's a soccer field. Uh, you know, we're in the, in the process of, of building a community clubhouse and a pool, um, all the really nice streets. And we have these solar street lights where, you know, drive through there at dusk and it just, it feels like a community. And, 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 it, and it's become a community. So, um, but, but this is an example, Jimmy, of one that I was telling you about where there was additional land with it. And we actually already have the entitlements approved to expand the community by 140 spaces or so. There's 90 uh, existing, um, but we've kind of put that part on hold because of, of what I was telling you about, just like getting reasonable bids on, on construction and that sort of thing to kind of finish the project. But, but it's valuable. I mean, at some point we're going to go do that work and we're going to expand the community. Um, but in the meantime, we stabilized what's there and it, and it, you know, what was once an eyesore is now a beautiful community. Um, and, you know, something, something we're pretty proud of. Oh, that's great. Uh, it's great to hear about real world, opportunity zone success stories where a operator such as yourself and your group at Saratoga group, Sam come in and create value for investors, create value and positive social impact for the residents 
of these communities. I, I love hearing these success stories. And yeah, hopefully uh, those labor costs, construction costs uh, can can come down uh, once the economy kind of levels out a little bit here, maybe six, 12, 18 months from now, you can yeah. start the expansion efforts on that uh, on that Austin project and, and, and deliver even more uh, affordable um, homes like 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 you're doing. Um, yeah. Just, yeah. Sam, this has been this has been great. Been a pleasure speaking with you today. If we have any listeners to the podcast or, or viewers of our of our podcast who are high net worth accredited investors or financial advisors and they want to learn more about uh, your investment opportunities or or you and Saratoga Group, where can they go to learn more about you guys? Awesome. Yeah. Hey, Jimmy, it's, it's been a pleasure. I, I always enjoy talking with you and I feel like I, I learn more than I give, but um, so yeah, I would say I, I'm pretty active on LinkedIn. So if you just um, put my name in there, Sam Hales on LinkedIn, you'll either get me or this guy that runs a band in England somewhere. But anyway, <laughs> that's not me. I'm not the guy in the band. Um, and then, uh, and then Saratoga group.com uh, you, you can, you uh, that's where we have our investor portal and, and, you know, you can get access to, to kind of some of the things that we've done in the past. And like you said, we're not, not really raising money right now for, for opportunity zone um, projects, but we'll be uh, in the, in the near future here. So we'll really appreciate you having me on Jimmy. Yeah, absolutely. Sam. And uh, for our listeners and our viewers out there, we will of course, as always have show notes available for today's episode at opportunitydb.com slash podcast. And there I'll make sure to have links to all of the resources that Sam and I discussed on today's episode. And I'll be sure to link to Sam Hales, not the guy who's in the band in England, but the real Sam Hales, uh, our real <laughs> Sam Hales. At least. And I'll link to saratogagroup.com as well. And please be sure to subscribe to us on YouTube or your favorite podcast listening platform to always get the latest episodes. Sam, again, it's been a pleasure. Thanks for your time today. Really appreciate it. Yeah, Jimmy, thanks so much. That's it for our show today. A huge thank you to you, our listener. If you like this episode, please rate and review the show on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. The Opportunity Zones podcast is produced by Opportunity DB. You can access our show notes by visiting opportunitydb.com forward slash podcast. And we'll be back soon with another episode. 